I'm going to redo that because that was awful. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, Alice, thank you for joining us today on the My First Thousand podcast where we talk to YouTubers about how they got started and we learn uh, from them about their journeys. Uh, Alice, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you for having me. Um, so my name is Alice Capel. I'm French. I have a commentary channel um, where I do analysis about influencer culture, some aesthetic analysis as well, or media analysis. Uh, I started YouTube in November, and now I've I'm almost at thirty k uh, subscribers, which is awesome. And outside of YouTube, I'm also a student. I'm a student in Anglophone literature and um, and uh, history. And I'm also a tennis instructor. Oh, God, that's mad. Okay, there's a lot to unpack there. Well, I think the first thing that's really interesting there is you only started your channel six months ago, and now you're on 30,000 subscribers. That's mad. It's mad. How have you managed that? It is. Well, it's been... It's been quite interesting, actually, because... When I started, I was like, okay, I give myself a year. If it doesn't work after a year, then fine, I'll move on to something different. And what happened is that, so the first video that started to go, not viral, but like that got a good amount of views was um, a video on the aesthetic of dark academia. And apparently it's something that was very much research. It was like researchable content, as, as we like to call it. And so that's where it started. That's how I got my first thousand, actually. And then it was just slowly growing. And another video started to get a lot of views, a video on um, um, the male gaze. And um, is it making money out of the male gaze? Is it female empowerment or is it um, just sexist imagery? That's that's the title. This one worked pretty well as well and got a lot of views. So it continued to grow and um, how long? Maybe two weeks ago? Two weeks ago, another video uh, blew up more than the other ones, actually. Um, a video on alternative self-help. And this one got a lot of views. And what's great is that uh, a lot of people actually subscribe. A lot of people resonated with um, my experience of self-help and the criticism I had to address. And so, yeah, now um, my channel went from before that video, I think it was around four, pro, no, it was 5k and now I'm at almost 30k. So that's great. I'm very grateful. Mm. God, that's mad. Well, there's a lot in that alternative self-help video, which was really, really interesting. Uh, I think from an outside perspective. And I think one of them was there's people, there's commentary channels, obviously, and there's kind of critical things. You were really quite specific and, you know, with the things you had to say to the extent where you even had uh, Mr. Matt Diavella commenting and kind of acknowledging your, yes. your critiques. Yeah. So when I made the video, I was like, oh, are they going to see it? And then when I posted it, I only realized at that moment that it was an option. It was possible that all their fans would come to my video and start to dislike this thing. And then I realized, okay, maybe that's the reason why small YouTubers don't really try to go for those big YouTubers. Um, but the thing is that the video was still quite nuanced. It wasn't, I wasn't attacking them. I was more trying to um, uh, encourage people to be more critical about the this whole genre of alternative self-help or even self-help in general. And so, yeah, Matt Villa commented on the video uh, two days ago or something. And I was a bit surprised um, because I thought they would just maybe watch the video, not really react to it. 
But at the same time, um, knowing Matt Diavella, knowing how I've seen him commenting on other YouTubers' content, I know he's quite open to criticism. So the, the reply, um, what he said in his comment was very positive. And um, yeah, you can tell that he, he's a great guy. He's a great guy. He's very funny. And so, um, yeah, I'm very happy that he commented and he even subscribed to the channel. <laughs> noticed it. Um, which is even better. Yeah, it did. It did. And um, I think it's great. I think it's great because like, it's good to, um, to be able to have those conversations where we try to be a bit more critical and um, still seeing those uh, content creators. I'm thinking about this case with Matt Diavella, but also with other cases, uh, other YouTubers who made videos on uh, other content creators uh, and being quite critical. And every time, I mean, not every time, but it seems that um, people um, on YouTube can be quite open to criticism and I think it's very healthy. Um, it's it's just dialogue we're trying to create and so yeah I was very pleased that he answered, um, he commented on the video. Mm. Well I think it's because what, what you had to say on the matter was significant and I think he was acknowledging that. Um, so I mean if you wouldn't mind uh, kind of re-highlighting what you said but it was in particular regard to the anti-hassle culture but if you scroll back up uh, down all of these wildly popular channels to their old thumbnails they're very clickbaity they're very hustle culture they're very work nine to five no 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 you work 20 hours a day sleep three hours a day and that's how you get big but whereas now they're taking a look back and be like no 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 you need to drink coffee and enjoy life so it's yeah, it i think your exactly. points were, were a bit yeah yeah that's that was the whole point it was just to sharing that you know it's quite easy now to talk about just uh, living simply to enjoy every moment or making videos about uh, how self-help can ruin your life now that you reach the um, success and that level of financial stability and just wanted to yeah just wanted to make a video to you know just acknowledge the fact that if you can if you talk about those things it's because of your previous success success and the fact that you very much benefited from that hustle culture hype you know and now your content is changing it's totally fine like people change um it's amazing but like you know just trying to make sure people realize just as i realized that it can be a bit hypocritical in some in some way and actually when you look at the comment section under my video i was very impressed at how people uh reacted because they very much related to to the message i wanted to share and to the fact that yeah, as much as they like that content, I still very much enjoy alternative self-help or I still read sometimes a little bit of self-help and stuff like that. And as much as you enjoy that content, you can still be critical and you can still um, expose um, some of the more, let's say, shadier parts of, of just channels. And um, one of the channels I, I talked about in the video and probably the one I'm the most skeptical about now is the school of life because um i would put them in that alternative self-help category because they're very much into um trying to um how could i say that help people with mental health but in a way that can just make people so focused on themselves and their internal struggles that they just completely forget about what's actually going on in the world so that narrative of be kind work on yourself and stuff like that can sometimes make us forget that if we feel sad, if we feel angry, 
um, maybe it's not because of ourselves and maybe it's not something we need to work in ourselves to, to fix. Maybe it's something outside of ourselves. Maybe it's uh, the system. Maybe it's um, things that we see in the media and stuff like that. And so, yeah, that was the point of the video as well, is to show that it's fine. You can be angry. You can have negative emotions. We shouldn't be constantly positive and kind and and compassionate you know like sometimes yeah we want to get angry we want to shout we want to go in the streets and protest it's totally fine and that's something that i think lacks a lot in alternative self-help but at the same time as i said in the video i totally understand that those people do not want to get too political because it's not what their audience is expecting you know like they 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 build a brand around that uh calm uh positive um type of uh attitude mindset but yeah i hope they're aware of that i hope they they know that that's the message they're sharing uh that um so yeah that, that was the goal of the video and what else mm. i think you make a really good point there because they don't particularly at least from the outside the more specific someone goes into a perhaps extreme or angry viewpoint politically the more they're going to alienate a large audience and of course the bigger their audience gets the less you can kind of say politically and get away with so mm. Mm, it's risque yeah it's true but then on and the flip side it's more. a huge benefit of your channel because you're saying you know a lot of political viewpoints which are um, resonating with a lot of people so yeah it's true and even more than that it's also that belief that uh, whenever you get angry um or anybody that display negative emotions is emotionally unintelligent and very often we would see that enlarged to this person is just unintelligent he cannot communicate peacefully and um yeah it's something that can be a bit problematic um but you know i think i'm gonna do another video uh, elaborating a bit more on that so not saying any more right now <laughs> gonna keep it secret something to look forward to <laughs> yeah um, okay, so previously you've taken inspiration from Lana Blakely, actually, where I believe the quote you said was, her videos, they're not saturated with crazy effects, they're very peaceful and slow, and it forces you as an audience member to kind of adapt to this slow pace, uh, perhaps contrary to this very fast-paced hustle culture lifestyle that we're living. I was wondering if you talk a bit yeah. more about that style, because it's very present in your videos as well. Yeah, I guess in my videos, with commentary videos, you want to make sure that... Um, people get as much information as possible from the video. So you want to adopt a pace that is going to help them understand as much as possible and really focus on the video. So it's true that I get a lot of inspiration from people like Lana Blakely or um, can't think of anybody else right now. But yeah, Lana Blakely is a big inspiration from that, for that. And um, just in general, yeah, I was, I was having a conversation with... Um, a subscriber on, on Instagram and we were talking about the fact that um, a lot of videos on YouTube, some commentary videos, but I feel like commentary channels in general are more slow pace, uh, taking their time and stuff like that. But a lot of the content on YouTube is very much about that clickbait title, about like not insulting other people, but you know, trying to sound as sometimes quite aggressive. I was watching a video recently on... Um, Shen Dawson, um latest documentary, or maybe it was an older documentary, I, I don't really know. And that YouTuber was trying to dissect the documentary. And it's true that when you look at it, in the end, the documentary in itself isn't groundbreaking, 
but like the way Shen Dawson presented, um, he he makes it he, he just presents it in a way that is crazy, that is super um, interesting, or like come up with uh, as if there was a conspiracy or something. So all those things that you find a lot of YouTube, like people trying to make conspiracies of everything because they want to grab people's attention. But I feel like in the end, if you are able to produce a video that may be a bit longer, uh, that may be a bit slower, um, but where you give people um, arguments and information, tools that they can use in the future, well, that's, that's for me, that's what a good YouTube video is, is when I get out of the YouTube video and don't feel like, oh gosh, there's a conspiracy theory or something like that, but I feel like I've learned something and I... I'm a better, um, a better human being, let's say. Mm. It's also um, a quick comparison to traditional, say, documentary formats, even on Netflix or on TV, can be 45 minutes to an hour long or longer or be series-based. And we probably get the same, not the same production quality, but a similar enjoyment and educational experience out of it of videos that are only, say, 10 to 15 minutes, um, which, you know, we can cover more content, we can learn more, we can be more enriched by our experience online which is good fun mm. even the time the duration of the video i think it's quite important as well i've realized that a lot of uh, commentary channels or um bread tubers or lefty tubers now produce very very long videos hour-long videos and stuff like that and as much as i enjoy watching them because it's just an hour and a half of one of my favorite youtubers i'm not going to complain i think that may be something a bit more um not problematic but um, annoying with that is that that format cannot really be shared and um, that's something I realized with maybe other commentary channels or um, uh, more right-wing stuff or stuff like that where they produce very short content uh, very um, intense sometimes aggressive and it's very easy to share you can share that on Facebook you can share that everywhere people are gonna they they they're gonna want to watch this entire thing, and so I feel like um, as a commentary uh, YouTuber now, let's say, um, I very much enjoyed that ten to fifteen minutes format because I feel like people can share it quite easily. Uh, people can watch the inf- entire thing quite fast as well, and so yeah, I, I really try to just produce content that is very dense to make sure that people can watch it easily, quickly, probably share it and, um, you know, get interested in it. And I feel like with the alternative self-help video, um, it worked in a way because it was quite short and I feel like people who might not be that interested uh, in commentary channels or um, more left-wing type of channels as well, uh, might have got interested by the fact that it was a short format and they could get to the information quite quickly. So, yeah, I'm saying that I have co- I've had conversations with other people about that, the fact that uh, people on the left tend to create very long videos, long content that cannot be shared a lot, that is very much remained in the community, in their community. And I think we should maybe make an effort to try to produce shorter videos, try to produce shorter content that can be shared quite easily to bring more people to the cause and stuff like that. So yeah, that was just a random thought I had. Um, and I want to, I wanted to share it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thought. It's a good thought as well. I was reading, um, oh, I believe it was Chaos Monkeys, but what you said made me just so interested is I have a theory to do with the algorithm, which they alluded to. And it's that 
um, on YouTube, uh, of course, or on other social medias. They track, obviously, how long each session is. So say if someone goes on their phone or on YouTube for two hours before they go to bed every night, towards the end of the predicted session, they're more likely to get recommended videos of a contrary viewpoint with a very strong, uh, aggressive thumbnail and title in order to keep Mm. your attention span on YouTube longer. And that's a good way for YouTube to do that. Because just before you're ready to go to Mm. bed, it's like... You know, I'm not going to suggest a title, but a very clickbaity right-wing title. Do you know what I mean? It's going to make yeah. going to make people furious, and they're like, "No, I must watch this and get angry." And it just keeps yeah. people online longer, which is actually quite. Um, who wins at the end? Exactly. Neither party actually. It's just YouTube. So. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And I guess um, as much as left-wing um, YouTubers or uh, will uh, be very critical of um, that YouTube algorithm and just. Um, the way the YouTube market works, basically, um, I think we should maybe pay a bit more attention and try to actually play with that as well and try to use it to our advantage and try to use those, those cards to to try to, yeah, to get recommended to people and to to, to share our information and to, to get to people, basically. Because honestly, I don't get a lot of left-wing videos or left-wing YouTubers videos recommended to me because either they're too long or yeah they, they're not very clickbaity or, or anything and yeah I feel like if you really want to reach out to to new people to get new people we, we really need to to work on that I'm speaking as if I was like the representative of an entire community it's just there's a red flag behind some you. of the thoughts <laughs> it's just some thought I've had um uh lately just yeah, trying to make the content as inclusive as possible to bring more people to to the cause, to your message, whether you're left-wing or, or whatever. It's just like with every cause, you, you want to play with the system in a way to bring people to your to your, to your your message, basically. So, yeah. Mm, I would say you do that quite well, though, because of, say, I there try. is a lot of your content, which is quite, say, on the left, there's also content such as the alternative self-help. self-help. That thumbnail title is not politically inclined one way or another. It's a very reasonable criticism, uh, critique video. And people, are, uh, you know, as you say, they're going to stick around because of you. You've created a very good video and people did stick around for that. As you say, it went, brought you from 10 to 30,000 subscri- 30, subscribers. So, it's crazy. You know, I think you're already, uh, you're already doing very well there. Yeah, and what's great with this video is I've seen people coming from very different um, places, people who never watch any commentary channels, people who have been watching a lot of commentary channels, uh, people who aren't very politicised, other people that were very politicised. I'm only saying that based on like the comments and stuff. So it's very, it was very interesting, and I felt like I was really reaching out to a very wide audience and it felt very rewarding it was like yeah i'm actually making something quite interesting here um so yeah a lot of it was very positive uh with this video but as always like you you still get a lot of um a criticism um constructive criticism always okay with that uh but also some pretty bad criticism quite aggressive quite um can be a bit personal as well and uh that's something i um that was a bit. It was a bit challenging because you hear those all those YouTubers talking about uh, haters and negative comments and how to deal with that and the fact that it really affect them. And all the time I was like, oh, yeah, okay, okay, but like it's still people uh, behind the screen. Like it's fine. They they're not gonna get it, comment you or whatever. 
But sometimes, yeah, you read some of those comments and you go, whoa, like, <laughs> some people are really, really angry. Some people have, like, a lot of hate. And um, that's something that was quite new to me as well, having a video that um, went, that made quite a lot of views and um, being exposed so much. And I, to be fair, I chose to 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 be very critical and I chose to go with, like, Let's say my title was quite clickbaity, so I was expecting to get criticism. I was expecting that some people would just completely disagree or wouldn't even watch the video, but just from the title and um, the thumbnail would just go and comment something quite mean or whatever. But when you're actually facing it, it can be can be a bit uh, challenging. And um, I'm not gonna lie, in the past week or yeah, pro past week, two weeks, like a few days after the the video started to get a lot of views. I was kind of struggling mentally because, you know, you get all these people uh, commenting very positive things, saying that you're amazing and stuff like that. And then on the other, on the, on the other hand, you've got um, very harsh criticism. So you always, both, both aren't healthy, healthy, you know, like no, nobody's perfect, nobody's fantastic. And on the other hand, I really believed I did not deserve some of the criticism uh, I got. And so, yeah, in terms of mental health, just juggling between the two, um, is really challenging and um, um, when we hear that YouTubers uh, have it easy and stuff like that that I'm starting to realize that um, no they don't and uh, it is very challenging uh, mentally really hmm yeah it's it's a tricky one hmm in what ways did you cope with that then I guess because that's still very recent that's relatively new to you by the sounds of things. Yeah, true. Um, true, true. And uh, what I did is that uh, I've always kept a journal. And so whenever I feel like I need to write down a few things to put some things on paper, then I'll use it. And to be fair, yeah, recently I've been using it quite a lot. Um, so I put my low entry, I put all the thoughts I have um, going through my head. And honestly, it really helps. It really, really helps. Um, I know it sounds a bit cheesy, to be fair, like a few years ago, I was like, no, never, I'll never use those things, it's very cheesy, it's useless, it doesn't work. But when you start actually doing it, it really, really works. Um, just putting that down on paper makes it real in a way. It's not like things that you have in your head and just stick around, like it's it's actually there, it's on paper. And... It feels, yeah, it feels more real. It feels like you can process that more easily. And so, yeah, journaling has, has, has been quite um, um, helpful, especially during this year. Well, I mean, with being a student, like um, working remotely and stuff like that, like so many things to, 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 to deal with. And so, yeah, journaling was very helpful. I know some people, um, it doesn't work for some people. I have a few friends that it's clearly not enough and they really cannot just sit down and write down their thoughts. So sometimes, uh, people have to go through therapy and it's totally fine. Like you shouldn't be ashamed to go through to therapy. Uh, for me, I'd never really felt the need to go to therapy to actually, um, see someone uh journaling has always been okay and sufficient but yeah like that's that's something i'd advocate for um advocate a lot in my videos into is to always prioritize mental health and um i did this other video on the clean influences and uh 
um, the philosophy, the mindset behind uh, those clean influencers and just like the clean your room message that we hear and stuff like that. And it's true that, um, I mean, it sounds it sounds so weird that people would enjoy watching people cleaning or stuff like that. But in the end, it makes so much sense. Um, we were talking about Lana Blakely and her vlogs, slow leaving vlogs. Those type of content are getting so popular because people are just, they want that. They want that type of slow living, um, very aesthetically pleasing or cleaning type of content because it's just peaceful. Um it's a good opportunity to actually write down in a journal. You know, sometimes usually what I do is that I'll put um, a vlogger or YouTuber I really enjoy, a very um, 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 nice little video and just journal while I'm watching that. So, yeah, trying to make that a habit um, is is a good thing, I guess. Yeah. Hmm. I think there's, I don't know if it's uh, serotonin, but I think it's just those happy juices of seeing something go from mess to clean. Something, uh, we, and we see it in a variety of genres as well. We see it in, for example, like the scale modeling. We see it in, hell, even like Lego videos. We see it in cooking videos. Yeah. Things going from a variety of messy different things to a final beautiful product at the end or a clean house or a yeah, clean Yeah, it's true. It's very satisfying. Mm. And you don't have to put any of the actual effort in to do the thing. You can just enjoy it over 10 minutes and then be like, oh beautiful at the end yeah and there, there's so many people uh, i've watched people in france especially when i was do, doing the research for the clean francis video there was this woman on the radio um mocking people who would watch that type of content be like why would you watch someone cleaning their space uh-huh <laughs> stuff like that and um you know they those people they don't really understand like they're not i don't know i don't want to call them boomers because i don't want to be <laughs> But it's kind of true, you know, like they're not up to date. They they clearly don't understand how the world the world works now. Like people, yes, people very much enjoy watching um, clean forensics on the internet. Maybe they cannot afford therapy. Maybe they cannot, they don't have time to do that. And just like a very short 10 minutes video of someone cleaning her floor is going to make it work for them, you know? So just people really need to re- be respectful of what other people put online, Um whether it's on TikTok or on YouTube, there's still like a lot of stigma around YouTube or even TikTok. I've seen so many great TikToks. Of course, there are many TikToks that are just dumb and not very funny and stuff like that. But there are commentary um, people, commentary TikToks and stuff like that. So it's always about balance and just trying to recognize that we are, the world is changing. The world is evolving. We are evolving as well. And if you want to stay stuck in the past and just, I don't know, I don't want to be too critical, but it really annoys me. I'm going to make a video on that as well. Just those people who don't want to get out or get like evolved with the world and just try to understand that there are other things in life than (sighs) calm down, Alice, calm down. You may have ruined up my economy, but you will not take away my Hoover videos, Karen, all right? That's all I've got. I've got nothing else. (laughs) It's exactly it. It's exactly that. It's exactly that. Some Karens or whatever, but... Ugh. Can't stand that. Can't stand that. Ugh. They're out of touch. They're miserable. Uh, Yeah. It's because they can't Hoover very well. It's, uh, you know, they're just jealous. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know. Hmm. Okay, well, I've actually got a bit of a, a darker segue, actually, because you made your, your video about 
the male gaze actually and you mentioned tiktok there and something i feel quite strongly about is i have an issue with the ways in which everyone growing up both boys and girls you look up to people a few years older than you and you copy them and that's what's cool and that and that goes on and, and that's that's what life is particularly in adolescence essentially i have an issue with a lot of say uh, these dancing trends on TikToks or yada yada yada. We're basically having younger and younger girls perform more and more dodgy and uncomfortable things and hmm. feeling safe in their rooms or in their own houses, which they should do to do that, except it's all published. It's publicized online for anyone to hmm. see at any age. And I have a I think there's a lot that's bad with that and I think it's gonna get worse before it gets better. It's quite funny, actually, because uh, my cousin, who's... How is she? Oh, gosh. Look, thankfully, she doesn't speak English very well. She would be very angry at me for not remembering. How old is she? Um, yeah, I think she's 13 or 14 or something like that. And she's really into TikTok and those things, the, as they call it, the straight TikTok. That's my sister tell me that's how... I don't have TikTok. I don't watch a ton of TikTok. I just rely on my sister to just send me TikToks. I literally told her, if you see anything... That could be interesting for a video or something. Just send it to me. And so she sent me TikTok every now and then. And yeah, she explained me about... Uh, she told me about that straight TikTok thing. And yeah, most of the girls, um, teenagers dancing and stuff like that. I guess it's part of that branch of TikTok. And uh, yeah, it can be a bit problematic. Um, because you don't know who's watching you. You don't know who's interacting. You don't know who's commenting on your videos you don't know what people are doing with your videos uh so what's great is that it's behind the screen um uh, yeah that's i guess it's makes it make it makes it safer in a way um with people like with very famous tiktokers i know they have a bunch of people behind them to make sure like they're safe and stuff like that but when you're young as you said and you watch those other girls um dancing and performing as they do yeah you might maybe want to do the same thing and um you don't have all that network behind you to make sure you are protected to make sure you're safe and is that new not really you know with tiktok we talk a lot about that but i remember when i was younger it was pretty much the same thing with oh gosh i'm so old do you remember skyrock i know in france we used to to use that this blog thing no you don't I'm not familiar with it. Maybe it's just a French thing. Maybe it's just a French thing. Uh, I can't remember. I I know it was called... Yeah, it was called Skyrock, I think. Maybe it's just French people trying to use an English word to sound more... Whatever. Um, But yeah, we used to have those accounts, those blogs, where we put pictures, where we talk about ourselves. And I remember putting very personal information on those websites. I know friends used to do that as well. I remember a girl who posted a video that was very... um, explicit in a way and she got a lot of bad comments for that a lot of hate and on the other hand people being like yeah go girl and stuff like that so i guess it isn't new it clearly isn't new so yes there is the we need to make sure those girls are very much aware of like the dangers of exposing themselves to to you know to the world but at the same time and that's something i try to develop in the video we were talking about with the male gaze as well is that as much as we want to take care of our young girls um we also want to educate young boys you know to make sure that that type of behavior uh that that there is respect that um 
young boys learn from a very young age, age that um, they should respect women. And of course, there'll always be people who just don't really care about that and will continue to behave the way they want to behave. But like, as much as we're trying to do the work with the girls, protecting young girls, telling them that they need to, um, to uh, yeah, avoid showing themselves too much we need to make sure that we're doing the same thing with boys and trying to teach them that you need to respect women it's not because a girl is let's teenage girl like it's different but like for example an adult girl it's not because this woman is um showing herself in a very sexual way that you um you can just go and not respect her you know like sensuality sexuality shouldn't equal I'm an object and you you can just go and not respect me as a human being, you know? Um, mm. But it's very controversial. It's highly controversial because, um, yeah, it's just, it is very highly controversial. There's so many different things. And actually the video I did was a bit of, <laughs> I never, I haven't really gave a, a clear answer to my question, uh, male gaze or uh, is it sexist imagery or just female empowerment? Because there there isn't a clear answer. You know, it's a it's a debate within feminist sphere. It's very much a debate um, whether those women showing themselves in a very sexual way uh, are they benefiting the cause by empowering women, empowering sexuality and stuff like that, or on the other hand, are they just playing with the male gaze to the point where they're not really helping anybody. You know, it's very controversial. I don't think we have a definite answer to that. So, yeah. Mm. It's a tricky devil. And I think exactly as you say, there is not a clear answer to these kinds of things. Um, it's very, very difficult. Yeah, yeah true. Mm. But hey-ho. Uh, but yeah, if you don't have TikTok, there are just the creativity on there is fantastic um i mean i was lucky yeah. to talk to madeline turner the the films she makes on tiktok are wonderful so definitely a, a good mm. platform um so you spoke about um the school of life videos and you actually had a conversation with uh elaine de Bouton, i'm not too sure if i pronounced that correctly um about he, yeah, kind of the way yeah i can't remember what his nationality is but i guess you have to pronounce it the french way which would be alain de Bouton. I'm not going to ask you to repeat. It's fine, but get on with it. <laughs> I was going to say, I think you, you say it much better than I do, sadly. Uh, so you had a conversation with him recently about the type of content that they were making in the School of Life videos, which I found to be quite interesting. I was wondering if you'd be willing to tell the story there. Yeah, it was quite funny. Um, so I started to follow him on Instagram. He There was the School of Life Instagram account, I think it still, still exists. And there was he created a separate account where he would share... Uh, posts about well it was mostly related to childhood and stuff like that um, but yeah we'd share daily quotes or just um, more or less what you would find on the school of life um, actually and so it was a new account I think and he ended up reaching out to me just sending me a, a message um, uh, I was I was small I was very small on Instagram so it was just talking to a random follower there was nothing uh, particular about my account or anything and yeah he was just asking me who I was um if I like that content and uh stuff like that and so yeah he asked me um if I thought they should uh, go back to what they used to do at the very beginning which was more um literature philosophy type of videos where they would explain or give information about like a specific philosopher 
or a specific author, um, or if they should continue with the very psychoanalysis, um, childhood traumas or mental health or stuff like that. And I said both. Um, it was at a time where I hadn't really reassessed their content that much. Um, I was still okay with most of what they did. Um, but then I read uh, some criticism on what they do. Uh, I've seen some videos about other content creators um, yeah, criticizing them and explaining that as much as they're helpful and um, yeah, that they, some of what they say can be a bit problematic. Uh, some of what they say uh, isn't supported by science. And so uh, that's why I mentioned in the, in the video and I was very much inspired by uh, Big Joel who actually did a two-part video on the School of Life. And it's true. Um, for example, their videos on um, mental health are very much... Um, they very much um, use the concept of childhood traumas uh, to explain uh, why you're unhappy, why you're not successful at this, why your relationship is bad or stuff like that. And um, when you look at the, the description box, they never really mention any um, references to any article or any theory or whatever. The only thing you find in their description box is just links to their books. And so it's true when I say to see that and, you know, I'm... Um, my master's degree is very much focused on research and so our teachers are always insisting on the fact that we need to reference every single information, every single fact needs to be referenced. So basically there is a reference um, at for every sentence, more or less. And so when I saw that and I didn't realise it in the past, I was like, oh yeah, that's actually kind of problematic. When you're talking about childhood trauma, psychology, you need to reference what you say. You need to explain where that comes from. And so, yeah, the idea you get out of it is that they're trying to use that very popular, trendy concept, you know, childhood traumas. There have been a lot of studies showing that there are links between childhood traumas and um, adult disorders and stuff like that. But when you use it constantly to try to justify every single aspect of our unhappiness that's where it gets problematic because like you're just trying to use that trend uh in a way to get people to watch your content and yeah it shouldn't be the case like every scientific information should be supported with facts and if you want to go in that direction in a psychology scientific type of direction then you need to do it you need to do the proper work you need to follow the methodology of research and um, yeah, under my video uh, where I talk about that and the fact that it's a bit problematic, there are some people, uh, psychologists or people doing a psychology degree that actually said, yeah, you're right. Like, it's actually problematic that they use that concept so much, childhood traumas. Like, you need to be very cautious with that because, you know, you hear people in the media. Um, I've seen people coming on TV and just explaining that uh, trans identity or autism comes down to childhood traumas. And well, like, you know, we're complex human beings. Uh, it's a bit reductive to reduce such complex things to childhood traumas. You know, trans identity is not related to childhood traumas. This is ridiculous. So, yeah, we need to be very cautious with the way we use uh, scientific information and... Um, yeah, <laughs> that's it. 
Yeah. That's nonsense. That's disgraceful. Yeah. I've, uh, I've, yeah, I've worked with quite a lot of disabled kids. Anyone who's saying that there's a connection between childhood trauma and autism is full of shit. They're completely full of shit. (laughs) Yeah, we're so complex. Like, we're so complex. And autism, um, I'm not super duper familiar with it, so I'm not gonna say anything um, to, I'm I'm, too sure. I'm quite familiar with it. There's zero connection. 100%. 100%. Yeah, okay. Then if you say so, I do I do believe you. Um, so yeah, um, a bit confusing, a bit frustrating. And um, so yeah, that's where the skepticism come from. Um, some people were actually commenting, oh, you're so harsh on the School of Life and stuff like that. Or even on other content creators' channels who did criticize the School of Life. It's clear, it's true. They, they are very beneficial. They've I've used some of their concepts and content and videos I've learned a lot about um, some of the things they've said, but nevertheless, like you cannot just, you, you have to be critical. You have to mention the fact that some parts of what they do isn't normal. So yeah, that's... Yeah, I think yeah. you're completely right. I think people can't go around um, spanning particularly scientific stuff without uh, providing evidence. And even even though your content's more, say, humanities-based, you always, you always uh, as you mentioned, what, you put 20 to 25 hours into just a 10-minute video... It's a hell of a lot of research, a hell of a lot of refinement, and you always, uh, you know, you always cite your sources as well, which is important. Yeah, I've been trained. Like, I know if one of my teacher or one of my supervisor, for example, go into the any of my videos and he sees that I'm not referencing anything, he's going to come after me. So I better do it. <laughs> I better do it. Oh, he's a good teacher. He's very supportive, actually. Hmm. <laughs> You mentioned your your parents were teachers as well, actually. Uh, how, how supportive have they been of this endeavor? Um. So, yeah, it's quite funny because on one hand, um, my mom has been very supportive. She's been like, "Yeah, I'm going to tell all my colleagues that you have a channel, especially the English teachers and stuff like that." She wants to brag and stuff. Very funny. And uh, but on the other hand, my dad's completely different. Uh, he's very much like, "Hmm, hmm, hmm." <laughs> not really responding to I constantly come after him so sometimes I'm like maybe I'm a bit too pushy with this maybe I talked a bit too much about YouTube okay fine but like you know every now and then I like to brag a little bit you know hey daddy you know what I reached like 10k or something and he'll go mm, yeah good job good job I don't know if it's because like he knows that the type of video I make aren't like, I know he wouldn't agree with most of the things I say in my videos. Maybe that's why. Um, but it's still very funny that he reacts in such a cold manner. It's fine. Like, I don't resent him for that, but I just find it quite funny. Maybe uh, maybe do, make a video with him. Do a debate with him about the things <laughs> you disagree so on. Gosh, yeah. He keeps on joking about the fact that I got my English, slightly British accent from him when he literally cannot, like, say an entire sentence in english so yeah he's a he's a funny guy he's a funny guy <laughs> oh that's funny well um i mean it shows that you're i mean you're also going into teaching because you mentioned that i think right at the start as well both your parents teachers you're going to a bit of teaching next year in ireland exactly so i switched from i started doing a law degree i stopped after a semester because i wanted to completely change lifestyle and yeah, I wanted to become a teacher to be more flexible and to be able to do your projects on the side. Because uh, basically what I'm doing is that um, in France, I want to be an English teacher. Uh, and so in France, you have two different levels. If you want to be an English teacher, 
um, either you try the let's say first level and you end up teaching in um, oh my gosh I can I always mix up uh, with the US and the UK uh, secondary school yeah I think it's secondary school yeah and um, so yeah there's this level and I'm trying to go to the next level uh, me and uh, my sexual. friends are trying to yeah yeah so we're trying to uh it's another ex- examination it's another it's like you need to prep for that for an entire year and then you end up you can teach in um yeah, in high school and you can teach uh even in universities um it's a bit hard to get into university but yeah hopefully and um so yeah that's where i'm heading and if i achieve that i'm supposedly only gonna work 15 hours a week that sounds pretty good. Um, and I would very much enjoy that type of job because it would allow me, as I said, to do other things on the side. I very much enjoy having multiple projects at the same time. I don't really like the idea of having one job, uh, for example, a nine to five job and having to stick to that job for the rest of your life and not being able to experiment um, different jobs, different projects or different things. So I feel like teaching was... For me, it was such a good opportunity to be able to have like a stable job at the same time, uh, do other things on the side that can be a bit more risky, like this YouTube channel, for example. Um, but I really enjoy and that uh, can be a source of income, actually, can be also a source of income. So, yeah. Mm. Multiple income streams. That's important. Well, let's talk about <laughs> your um, kind of entrepreneurial history leading up to YouTube, because this isn't actually your first... Uh, um kind of growing online kind of thing because you actually had uh you, you briefly mentioned it actually earlier to do with tennis and your sport um and instagram kind of relating to that kind of content uh, do you want to tell us kind of the story there and learning about growing yeah, online, yeah, that yeah. Sort of thing? so it was a while ago when i was i was very much into fitness like i was obsessed with fitness maybe a bit too obsessed actually and so I started to join Challenges online. I created my own Instagram account, a fitness account. And so, yeah, I was joining all those challenging, tagging people, interacting with people. And yeah, people started to follow uh, my account. I was following other uh, bigger accounts as well. And so we were helping each other, tr- slowly growing uh, together as a community. And I ended up reaching 5K. I can't remember exactly if I reached... Uh, 5k or if I was very close to it but still and um, yeah basically I would just share workouts I would just put pictures of myself uh, wearing workout clothes and stuff like that and um, yeah I was even thinking about maybe starting to do coaching or create programs and then I realized and it actually relates to what we were saying with the school of life is that um at some point I realized that I cannot really do that if I'm not like a specialist, if I haven't studied it, if I, I'm i not into it, if I'm not like studying it or, oh yeah, if I, I don't have enough knowledge, you know, I don't have any qualification in health or fitness. And so who am I to pretend that I can change some people's life um, just by researching by myself and learning about things here and there, you know, I, have, I don't know how to read a scientific paper. Um I mean, no, I do know how to read a scientific, like a humanities paper, but like in heart sciences, so um, um, chemistry or biology, I've never been trained to read that type of paper. And I feel like this is something you need to to be able to do if you want to be like a good coach or if you want to 
give the best scientific information for weightlifting or for stuff like that. And so there's this girl on on a YouTube called Natasha Ossian. Uh, she's British actually, and she I very much enjoy following her because she she has a PhD in biology or engineering. I can't exactly remember. I'm sorry. But, you know, you can tell that she knows what she's talking about. She knows what good science is. She knows what works, what type of workouts you need to do, how to mobilize certain muscles and not others. And so when I started to discover a channel and her expertise, I realized that, no, like, I I cannot do that. I'm I'm not the right person to do it. And so I started to progressively um, post less and less on that account. I use it more as an accountability account uh, than a real uh, maybe potential um, I don't know a career plan or whatever and yeah on top of that like you get a lot of um, we were discussing about that with the male gaze actually you get a lot of people um, old men or younger men as well uh, commenting quite disturbing things on your pictures or trying to reach out to you by private message or stuff like that and sending links or stuff like that um, so you know it, there was a lot of positivity. We were all supporting each other, a bunch of women. Um, so when I posted pictures of me with like a sports bra and a shorts, like it wasn't to show off, you know, it was it was just to connect with other people, other women who did the same thing. It was like, hey, see, like I worked on the on my app, like can you tell? And yeah, the fact that some people that were quite unwanted, um, older men or weird guys, uh, see that those people were also commenting, following, and just trying to reach up to you. It was it was a bit disturbing, and I guess that was also one of the reasons why I wanted to stop, because I was like, no, I don't want to get that type of comment anymore. Like, please stop. So, so yeah, but generally it was very positive. Um, I still sometimes share a few fitness things in stories or, or stuff like that, and all followers from... From when I used to <clears throat> be more into it, command and, and say, oh, good job, you're still doing that, great, great. And so, so yeah, um, but yeah, this this is over. This is over. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, there's a <clears throat> lot of things, obviously, very wrong with that. I think it's the classic, it's just horny old men ruining the fun for everyone. But it's also there's this very good thing i remember saying was it's just far harder simply for girls to enjoy a hobby because they get criticized and kind of examined far far more from it than guys do and that sounds like exactly the case like a guy wearing workout clothes is not perceived in the same way as a girl wearing workout clothes yeah i mean um, tennis is such a good example for that you know like whenever you wear a skirt at tennis you always get comments um comments or just yeah on the way like maybe girls shout when they play and you get like guys making weird video edits of that um it's just weird it's always different for gosh i've seen it i've seen it which you know maybe you know maria sharapova uh she's Mm. one of the most uh, well-known tennis player a tall blonde girl and it's true that the way she shouts when she she hit the ball is quite peculiar and yeah, you literally had guys like making edits with that and i'm like what you wouldn't do that out the house you know Get out the house. Yeah, so the way women are, especially in sports, but I feel like I said it maybe five times during this video, but I'm, I'm going to do a video on that as well. <laughs> well, there was also just this week. It's so specific. Yeah, go on. 
Oh, sorry, sorry to interrupt you. I was going to say, even this week, there are massive changes going on in women's gymnastics as to uh, wearing the full-length leotards or not for the exact same issue. Oh, gosh, I haven't haven't heard about that. Uh, it's, I, I mean, I'm not an authority of it, but I'll link you uh, something I read about it later. But it's essentially, yeah, yeah. yeah, obviously women doing the, say if you're backflipping in the air and doing the splits, and that's covered on all angles by the coverage of the cameras, which can obviously lead to, you know, uncomfortable... Um, coverage yeah. of say a routine uh, a lot of women are saying no we want to wear the full length all the, all the way down to to the ankles uh costumes which uh mm. and some people are being mm. like no you have to wear the skimpy things and it's like yeah women's right to <laughs> yes. wear what they want right it's ridiculous uh, i mean women in sport is such a very interesting topic you know because it's also a lot of women in sports are you know there's this idea that a lot of women playing sports or doing sports are playing against stereotypes, you know. Um, I've heard about that quite recently and I was like, yes. And I felt I could relate to that in a way. So what I mean by that is um, when you're a girl and you decide to do a sport, you not only proving to yourself that you can do it, but you're also proving to men that as a woman you can be good at sports, you know. And it can apply to sports, it can apply to other things as well, like if you're good in math, for example, it's always like you you can be quite proud of yourself because you're going against that stereotype that women are bad at, at math or women are bad at sports. So, yeah, so many things to, to impact with women in sports. It's just, it's really fascinating. Yeah. Hmm. I was going to say, we might not have the time here, sadly. <laughs> but maybe that, that's something to make a video on because uh, I think everyone will be very oh, well, curious to... Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. All right. Well, we'll probably leave it with a final question then, which is a lot of people clearly look up to you, the content that you make. Um, what would you say to people who, you know, love the content that you make and would be curious about doing their own uh, and are kind of thinking about starting a YouTube channel, but maybe scared or not really want to for any particular reason? What would your advice for them be? I guess the typical advice, what I've heard tons and tons of time, every time I watch a, a video on how to start a channel is just to do it to just post your first video and i know it can be quite challenging can be quite daunting but honestly what i did is the with my boyfriend we discussed about it and we're like okay i need to start at some point but what's really scared me is that once you post the first video then people are gonna expect that you post more videos so you have to put them regularly you know and because i'm a control freak i was like no i need to make sure like the schedule is fine and stuff like that but i guess yeah maybe um choosing a deadline, you know, uh, saying like, okay, at the end of this month, I'm putting the video out. Because uh, we all have plenty of ideas, plenty of video ideas. And even if the video is not like the most perfect video you could ever make, at least you're doing something, at least you're putting out something. Even if you start with private, you put in private and invite a few people to watch the video. That's what I did with my very first video that never went public. Best decision in my entire life. Um, but yeah, like just progressively getting feedback and stuff and you know when you're starting there's only gonna be maybe 10 20 people watching your video so is it that big of a problem um not really people are gonna judge you people are gonna judge you whatever you do so yeah i would highly advise that you just try to set yourself a deadline put that video um and just go from there just go for it awesome yeah. that is fantastic advice well alice it has been an absolute privilege talking today and um you know seeing your growth in your channel and the videos that you make they're wonderful they're very good fun uh, thank you very much 
thank you all very, very much. fans of what you do um thank you so much for coming along and talking today as well uh we learned so much from you uh, have a wonderful day thank you and we'll catch you next time yeah. bye thank you very much tom bye